Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. It's the Christmas season, and so we're starting a Christmas series, Awkward Family Christmas. There's some awkwardness in your family. There's some awkwardness with some coworkers. There's awkwardness somewhere in your life. Let's talk about it. So there's two different types of families. Those who take catalog looking family pictures, you know, like the little Pinterest family, and uh, we, we envy them because they look fantastic. You know, they got the perfect poses and the perfect hair and the perfect lighting and the matching outfits. And mom, for some reason, always turned a little bit with her hand on the hip, you know, and the caption may be something like, we're a mess, but we're just blessed. It's like, get out of here. <laughs> then there's the other type of family, the awkward family photo family. And we don't know how the catalog family picture family does the catalog pictures. We try. We try to match, but for some reason, we just all look like tall Oompa Loompas. And so we just awkwardly stand there smiling. Several years ago, uh, there was a popular website that cashed in on this phenomenon. It's a website called Awkward Family Photos. You ever hear of this website? It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's a big thing. It was, uh, in fact, so big that they, they did a deal with Target to sell a year-long calendar. The, the best awkward family photos made it into this year-long calendar. Guess whose family made it into that calendar? Boom! Mine! You want to see it? Voila. Here we go. Lil Wayne would be so proud. Green and yellow, green and yellow. This is how we do. While the catalog family picture families were out posing, you know, during golden hour, we were tossing a football around, actually making it into a calendar. I'm not sure if, if Target still sells this, but if they do, I will sign it for you. I got to show you a few others, though, just because they're, they're just so awkwardly fantastic. Look, look at this family right here. For this couple, <laughs> you know this guy is such a good hang. You know, honey, grab the bird and the gun. We're taking a family photo. Like, the velour, the no shirt underneath, the glasses. I mean, this, is, this guy just knows how to, how to live. Then there's, uh, there's this family right here. The, the pea, <laughs> the turtlenecks, the carpet. It's just so good. And then there's uh, this one right here. You know, this dad is totally whipped, right? Like, Put on the pink. Like, yes, dear, Okay. Uh, look, at, look at this guy. You know this guy. Like His family does not want him to show up for the Christmas party. Uh, check, out, check out this gem right here. This is a family that tried to do the catalog family picture. Just wasn't in the cards. One more. One more. I'll show you one more. I actually found, I ran a, Jordan's not here tonight, and I, was, I went through his office, and I found his Christmas family picture that he's sending out this year. I figured that, you know, I would share it with you tonight. Here is uh, Jordan's Christmas picture for, <laughs> for this year. He's just, I know he's been working on, on that stretch for, for quite a while. Here's the thing, though. Whether you're a catalog picture family or an awkward picture family, the truth is behind the lens, behind the picture, tends to always be the same. Whether you look like you have it all together and it's golden hour and you look beautiful or whether it's an awkward picture, the truth is we've got some difficult family dynamics, some family drama, some tension, some awkwardness playing out. It's around this time of year, uh, church offices just fill with people. Counselor offices just fill with people all asking the same question. How am I going to deal with so-and-so this year? Mom and dad separated this last year. 
how is this going to work? Whose house do I go to? They both want us at the same time. Creepy Uncle Al is coming this year. What do I do about him and his comments? Mother-in-law is always undermining the, the wife. Aunt Sally's always running her mouth. Sister-in-law wants proof of everyone's vaccination before they enter the house. But you know my brother-in-law, you know he'll show up wearing his government conspiracy shirt. Like, did I just describe some family situations going on right now? I think it's time that we talk about the awkward. Colossians 3 is where we're going to be. Colossians chapter 3. I really encourage you to grab a Bible. We've got Bibles in the chairs, page 984 on those Bibles. Again, I say this every, every time, but I really encourage you to grab one of those Bibles. At, at the bridge, we are all about Scripture. Scripture is our final authority. It is our goal as a community that we are all very versed in Scripture, how to read Scripture, how to study Scripture, how to find things. And it just helps to have the Bible in our hands as we look at it together right now. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and we'll jump in. God, I thank you so much for the practicality of your, of your word. Your word is timeless. And these words that we're about to read are, are directly from you, and they hit us today in, in the situations that we're dealing with. And God, may we keep that in mind as we're reading through this. May your Holy Spirit illuminate this, this text to us. May he bring situations to mind. But may we also remember that, man, this is your word, and it is addressing us where we are at right now. It is incredible. And we thank you so much for this opportunity to look at your words together. As Denham prayed earlier, may you open our hearts and engage our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms in on Colossians, we find ourselves in the ancient city of Colossae. Jordan, what are you doing here? Get out, get out of here, Jordan. <laughs> I just had to. I had to. <laughs> Beautiful little town etched into the foot of the cliffs. It's hard to beat the view here. Here in the valley, on one side is the valley, the, the flat plain on one side, the towering mountains on the other side. Even on overcast days, it's just, it's just this majestic feel as the peaks of the mountains disappear into the clouds above. The cold mountain streams weave their way through town, trickling from the snow up on the mountains and down into the plain where the sheep graze, the sound giving this constant pleasant background noise to the town. It's this picturesque, beautiful town, a catalog-looking picture, if you will, from afar. But as we get closer, we find the picture of the city is far from reality. See, from the outside, it looks like this quaint little town, even, even this perfect little town, but inside the city, it's a different story. Economic pressure is taking its toll. Years ago, Colossae was, was larger, it was wealthier, but it's been on the steady decline. The, the wool from the sheep is, is worth less and less thanks to local competition. And as the city declines, political division sets in. Each house has their own view of how to restore their old city, how to save their little mountain town. To complicate things even more, a controversial cult is growing here. So like us today, here they are, they're fearing their economy, they're fearing the solutions, they're fearing these growing conspiracies. It's made this picturesque, quaint little mountain town, it's made it quite awkward. And in all of this, the little church in town receives a letter from the popular Paul. Words that address their fear, words that address their division, words that address their discomfort. It's as if Paul in this letter says, here is how you navigate the awkwardness. 
And he writes this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is so fun. Paul is so creative. We just got to unpack this a little bit more to understand the creativity of Paul here. The first thing we have to notice is, is Paul writes, God's chosen ones. And the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word uh, electos, which means uh, we get our word elected from it, or it also means selected. You were selected by God to sit at his table at his party. You were invited by God to sit at his table at his party. I like that. Because growing up, you know how many parties I didn't get invited to? A lot. First, I was that awkward photo family that made the calendar. But second, I was the pastor's kid. And you don't invite the pastor's kid to the party because he's going to tell his dad what was going on and then we'll all get in trouble. So you don't invite the pastor's kid. Whatever, I'm over it though. As mom said, it's their loss. It's just I'm too handsome. But I, I I love this though. This is so powerful. We start with God saying... I'm inviting you, I've invited you to my table. You, sinful, awkward, selfish, you and me. See, how often do we point our, 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 point our fingers at, at certain family members or, or friends and say, well, they make things just so awkward and so tense, you know, with all their comments or, or their lifestyle. And they probably do. But lest we forget, we've done the same thing, just in greater ways. We cost God's son his life. That was on us. We walked away. We made things tense. We made God come and find us and then pay our large debt. We made things incredibly awkward. I mean, uh, Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies of God. That's awkward. Yet despite all that, God says, I'm inviting you to my table. Yeah, I know what you got into and I know how you can be and I know what you did, but I still want you at my table. That is the kind of father we have. And that's where we have to start when we talk about difficult family dynamics. Oh, we'll get into family boundaries and and having hard conversations and all of that, but this is where we start. Before we start pointing fingers at all the problems and all the issues of all the people who make Christmas all tense and awkward, we first gotta take our fingers, stick it in our own chest. I was an enemy of God, I made things tense, and despite the awkwardness that I created, God still loves me, pursues me, and invites me to his table at his party. And that theological truth impacts how we approach others this season. That's convicting, isn't it? We could probably just stop right there. Like, that's a big change of heart, a big mindset shift for a lot of us, but we got more. Paul writes, since we've been invited to this table, I love this, he says, put on, put on then. And this is where he gets so creative and this is so fun. As we're on our way to God's party, I like to think of it this way. As we, as we follow Jesus, we're all going throughout life on our way to dad's house for this big family reunion. So we're all on our way to this family reunion. And Paul writes, as we head to the party, there's this dress code that I want you to wear. There's certain things that you are to wear. I want you to put on. And putting these things on helps with all of the awkwardness that you're going to face. It's kind of like my, my wife's favorite uh, Norwegian proverb says, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. It's pretty good. Nicole loves uh, winter and cold weather. I hate it. Like, I love the sun. I, I love the heat. And so when I complain about the snow or, or the cold, and she'll always quote this, you know, well, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing, whatever. So to be fair, I think that Paul would definitely agree with this in, in a spiritual sense. 
just as you know, this morning or, or maybe before you came to church, you, you grabbed your coat or you grabbed your hat and you, you saw that it's, it's colder outside, so I'm going to put on a coat. You threw on an extra layer and gloves and a hat. Paul would say, just as you do that, understand it's awkward outside. It's awkward in your family. It's divided out there. So you're going to have to put on some extra things as you leave your house. When you pull up to the in-laws for that party, when my nasty Aunt Susie walks up your driveway, when creepy Uncle Al walks in, it's going to be awkward. So I want you to put on, and then he gives us this packing list. Here's, how you're, here's what you're going to put on to make it less awkward. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Five things here in verse 12. Five things. You know, it be interesting. We should do a, to do a, a, a dress code check. A little self-analysis to see how you're, uh, you're doing with these. It's like uh, growing up, I went to a school, very, very strict dress code. In fact, uh, Jansen, who led worship earlier, he, he uh, went to a, a school very, very similar to where I went. Um, a school where for the boys, we had to wear pants, we had to have our shirts tucked in, a belt, a collar on your shirt, and you had to have your hair above your, your ears. And for the girls, they had to wear a dress, the hem below the knee, no V-neck blouses, no makeup, and socks with shoes, no sandals. That, that was the dress code for the guys and the girls. And so there would be these checks that you would have at school. And so if guys, if your shirt was untucked, or ladies, if you had makeup on, like some floozy, you would get, you would get demerits. I think we should do this. I'm not going to give you demerits, but maybe we should do a little dress code check right now with this. Let's talk about these, see how you're doing. And you can kind of gauge where you're at. So the first thing on the packing list that, that Paul gives us is he says, I want you to put on a compassionate heart. We use that word compassion quite a bit. What does that mean? Compassion. Compassion means recognizing the suffering of others. Having a compassionate heart is not seeing nasty Aunt Susie as being just a nasty old lady, but seeing nasty Aunt Susie as someone who's gone through some nasty things. Doesn't mean you let her walk all over you and your family, but you see beyond the nasty, and you recognize she's hurting. A compassionate heart isn't easily annoyed. Oh, he's one-upping me again. She's making her comments. A compassionate heart sees past all of that and recognizes the pain that is driving the symptoms. A compassionate heart says, just let him have it. Let him one-up me, like Merry Christmas. Let her have her opinion about politics, like nobody cares, but she doesn't need to know that. Merry Christmas to you. The compassionate heart sees past the pain and responds with, well, compassion. It's the only way to stop the awkward. Hey, I get it. This is, this is one of those moments. I'm just preaching to myself here, okay? Our dad says, put on a compassionate heart. Without it, you're just going to be annoyed. You're going to be easily annoyed, easily set off. You're going to get angry, which is where a lot of us are at. And so Paul says, I want, just put on the compassionate heart. Second, he says kindness. Kindness is treating people better than they deserve. You know how God treats us? Because we should be in hell, yet here we are on our way to dad's house. Kindness is treating that face that came to mind earlier better than they deserve. Oh, I know, you have every right to go off on Aunt Mary and Uncle Al. Every right to ignore that better than you cousin. You have every right to ditch them. You have every right to leave the party mad unless you're a follower of Jesus, and then you don't. Because God doesn't with us. Kindness is going into those family gatherings thinking, how can I make this Christmas better for them? How can I serve them? How can I make this 
gathering enjoyable for them. It's the only way to stop the awkward. How are we doing so far? We're two in. Got like one of these, two of these, zero of these. Eh, I want to talk about it. Third piece, humility. Humility. Seeing your, humility is seeing yourself as no better than those around you. We, we all have that family member, and you know this, come on. We all have that family member, that cousin, that parent, that uncle, that always has to be right. They always have to be heard. They always have to have the better story. They always have to flaunt their success and their job and their perfect little marriage. Humility is allowing them to just be more successful, allowing them to be heard, allowing them to have the spotlight, allowing them to just think they're right. Humility isn't playing that game with them, even though it's so easy to get sucked into that. Humility is saying, yeah, let them have it. Let them have it. I'm, I'm no better. If it means so much to them, let them enjoy this. That kind of humility is rare, but it opens up this opportunity to sit back, not play this game that everyone else is playing, and just enjoy the freak show. <laughs> the fourth piece of clothing is meekness. Meekness. So often we think of meekness, we, we think of a, a wallflower kind of guy, you know, like the guy who was pictured in pink earlier. You know, he's so meek, he just does whatever his wife tells him to do, you know, never stands up for himself, just kind of follows her around and does all of her bidding. That's not meekness. Meekness is power under control. I think of it like, uh, like my dog. She's a, she's a mutt. She's actually, she's actually pretty B.A. She'd be a good hunting dog. She, she loves to wrestle. She's killed so many animals. It's awesome. She's fast. She's strong. My kids, though, my kids will uh, land top of her. Um, they'll pull her around by the collar. They'll take food out of her mouth. And Luna will always control herself. Never snap it. She's never snapped at them. Never bites them. Now, when she wrestles with me, she'll be very aggressive, you know, uh, because she knows I can take it. And so she'll be like jumping on me and, and trying to bite me. But as soon as the girls join in, she immediately calms down and never puts her mouth on them. That's meekness. Now she'll still tell my girls when enough is enough, but it's always power under control. Is that you? Meek. Meekness is holding back when, uh, that, when cousin Don wants to just continually one-up you, even though you could like three-up him. <laughs> meekness is knowing I could shred her opinion right now. It would feel so good. But meekness is knowing, but I would convince nobody, and that's not Jesus, and so I'll just smile and nod. Meekness is having everyone over, greeting everyone, smiling, not engaging in arguments or correcting everyone, not playing the one-upping game. It's being cordial and helpful and serving until they all leave, and then you go and you close the door, and your wife looks at you and says, honey, I'm so proud of you. And you go, I'm going to need like an hour outside by myself. <laughs> That's meekness. It's power, but under control. It's incredibly rare in our society. It's the only way to stop the awkward. Again, meekness is not allowing people to walk on you. Guys, it is not. Meekness is not being a coward. You still need to lead. But it is power under control. Then there's the last piece of clothing is Patience. Patience. Patience is putting up with more than you want. It doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. It just means <laughs> I'm going to let grandma continue to tell stories about people I have never met in my entire life, and I'm just going to sound interested and look interested. Patience is letting the cousins be an hour late, like they are every single year, and everyone has to wait for them. 
And patience is just allowing that. Patience is putting up with more than you want. Patience. So, when you look at these, how are you doing on them? Look at these like, uh, maybe I'm two, three, zero. See, in reality, it is a bit silly to grade in reality, but, but at the same time, it is really good for us to look at this and take a self-inventory and say, okay, heart check here. Before I head into the holidays, before I go to these parties, before I'm you know, at these office parties or at the family parties or hosting people over, am I going in with the right clothes on? Because it's nasty out there. It's divided out there. Do I have the right clothing that my dad told me to wear on my way to his party? It's the only way to stop the awkward. He continues on, verse 13. My goodness, we're only one verse in. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Now, come on. Come on, Paul. You don't know my family. You don't know my in-laws. You don't know my coworkers. Forgive. Not me. I don't know about you, but for me, I only want to forgive people who deserve it. I only want to forgive people who understand how much they really hurt me and hurt my family. I, I only want to forgive people who are ashamed of what they've done. And they show up on my porch this Christmas and I open the door and they fall to their knees and they say, look, before we even walk through your door and their head, they can't even look at me. And they say, I've said this about you and I've done this and I've been passive aggressive and I've gossiped about you and I've acted better than you. I'm unworthy, Junior, to even step foot inside your home. And I want to stand there and say, oh, that's right. <laughs> Keep going. Now you come in. I forgive you. Sit at my table. Paul says, no, 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 no. stop. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you mean like when I sin and when I'm selfish and I hurt God, but God forgives me before I even recognize that I did anything and he still invites me to his table. I have to mirror that. Yeah. See, without forgiveness, every little offense is going to be the end of the world to you. Without forgiveness, every little complaint, every minute they're late for dinner Every passive aggressive comment is going to add up and add up and add up and it will crush you unless you just decide I'm just going to actively, constantly forgive and let it go. Doesn't mean I don't have boundaries. Doesn't mean you don't stand up for your spouse or your kids. It just means you're not going to keep this tally all Christmas. It's the only way to survive and stop the awkward. Verse 14, he says, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all else, oh, be meek, have a compassionate heart, do all that. But above all, I want you to love. And not just love those you like being around. Come on, even the pagans do that. Now that face that you're dreading to see, that face, it just, it's awkward. The difficult family member, that coworker, you make an effort. You're going to go out of your way and intentionally love. Above all, love. Why? Because this is what you want this Christmas. Harmony. 
and winning that argument at the table, at the family table, it's not going to bring you harmony. And proving you're better than so-and-so, it's not going to bring you harmony. And believe it or not, so-and-so not showing up to the gathering, it's not going to bring harmony. Your love will. And so above all, you just decide, conscious decision. I'm going into this Christmas. I'm just going to love. That is my goal. Every turn, I'm just going to love. Oh, there'll still be awkwardness. There's still going to be comments and competition and hurt feelings and drama. But now you've transcended all of that with this bigger mission. I'm just going to go love, like really, really well. And I'm going to serve and I'm going to let things go and I'm going to be a blessing. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? But that is so hard. So I got three bite-sized challenges to take into this Christmas. You, you're going to hate me. You're going to hate me after these, but I, I trust that you will forgive me as God has forgiven you. So number one, and please keep your elbows to yourself, okay? Especially if you're sitting by a spouse. This is going to sting, but we're going to do it anyways. To stop the awkward, number one, wine less, love more. Wine less, love more. I'm just going to preach to myself here, okay? But if the shoe fits, channel your Cinderella. Some of us wine right up until opening the door. I swear, if your mother says, if Cousin John one-ups me one more time, I'm going to, Merry Christmas! Great to see you guys. Just got to stop the whining. It's not helping. It's only hurting. It's hurting your heart. It's hurting your home culture. It's hurting your office culture. So just decide right now, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm quitting cold turkey. Stop. I hate to break it to you, but whining about them won't change them. But loving them will. So stop whining. Stop whining that you have to host this year. Stop whining that you have to see that person. And side note, yes, fellow introvert, you have to go to that party. And you have to go in. And you have to go love people. And you have to talk to people. And you should stop whining about it. We can't use our introvert card as an excuse for this. We gotta go, we gotta love, we gotta bless, and we gotta serve. But regardless of who we are, introvert, extrovert, fantastic family, awkward family, regardless of who we are, Christmas isn't about you. So let's just decide right now. We're gonna stop the whining, and we're gonna love more. Also, now I just wanna say this. For the parents in here. Singles, we'll get to you in just a second, but parents. A lot of us have little eyes on us. And what we say, how we treat, how we respect our families will set the tone for how they treat us. The way you talk about your parents and their uncles and aunts, your siblings, that will set the tone for how they talk about you and their siblings one day. I'm telling you, the day will come when you will want nothing more than for your kids to come visit you and have this great family time and love being around each other. But a lot of that is dependent on how much you honor your parents in front of them and show patience and love toward your siblings. You whine about your family, they'll find something to whine about with theirs. There's more at stake than we realize. Gotta stop the awkward, stop the whining, and love more. Charles Spurgeon, he's my favorite cigar-smoking preacher, this guy had cojones. He said this to his church. I can't believe he said this. I could not get away with this, but I love it. He said, those who complain first in our church have the least to do. <laughs> the gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents. Dang. You're better than that. So stop the complaining 
and focus on putting on the right attire. It might need to be a repeated phrase in your home this year. Wine less, love more. Wine less, love more. Wine less, love more. Wine less, love more. Number two, expect the worst. Expect the worst. So without whining, expect the worst. Grandma is going to say what grandma is going to say, okay? And Aunt Susie is going to be loud because Aunt Susie's loud. And Uncle Al is going to be weird because he's Uncle Al. So just expect it. So like a, a few years ago, my, uh, <laughs> my wife's cousin announced that she was having a baby on social media. And uh, she was just out of a relationship, uh, a long relationship, and she just got into a new relationship. And so she's announcing to everyone that she's pregnant. And, and regardless, it's, it's exciting for her, right? And so everyone's saying, you know, congrats. My wife's grandma, she was a character. She commented on the picture. This is for everybody to see on social media. She comments on the picture, okay, but who's the daddy? <laughs> Fantastically awkward. What got me even more, though, is everybody in the family was saying, I can't believe she said that. I always get a kick out of when people say that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe he did that. It's like, really? You can't believe she said that? She's been saying that stuff for like her 90-year existence. You, you can't believe that? You can't believe the cousins were late for dinner? You really can't believe that they've been late the last eight years? And you can't believe Aunt Susie said something passive-aggressive? You can't believe that. Half of what comes out of her mouth is passive-aggressive. And you can't believe they didn't pitch in? Have they ever pitched in? Why is this such a surprise? For some reason, we, we, we like to just kind of set ourselves up to be let down. There's a really good book called uh, Unoffendable. Written by, written by a Christian who argues that we should be the most unoffendable people out there. Mainly because we understand people are broken, people are hurting, people are going to say what people are going to say, people are stained with sin, and so we just expect it. Anytime something happens, it's like, well, it, it's par for the course. We live in a broken world. And this is the attitude with which we love people. We expect people to be people, and we love them despite that. It's like when I was a kid, I, I, there was a, a family, a certain extended family member that I, I struggled with. We'll just put it that way. And uh, on our way to the big Christmas gatherings, my dad um, was, I was great. I'm so glad he did this because <laughs> I think the whole family kind of struggled with this person, but he would give us this pep talk. And so as we're driving, he would say, okay, so-and-so is going to be there. All right? And so-and-so is going to say what so-and-so always says. So let's expect it, and let's just be thankful that it's just one day. And when so-and-so says what so-and-so says, we can just kind of look at each other and smile. And then when we get back in the car, we just have fun with it on the way home. They said this. How awkward was that? It just wasn't a big deal to us because we just expected it. Instead of getting all surprised and offended and, and made a big deal out of it, we just expected it. And we decided we're just going to love them right where they are. And we got in the car, and we smiled, and we drove home. Again, this, this doesn't mean that you don't stand up for your spouse or stand up for your kids because my dad would stand up for us, but we just expected it. And that helped us not just survive, but, but love during that as well. Then number three, and this is a big one, get in other people's shoes. Get in other people's shoes. Here's what I think we should do. I doubt you'll remember it, but I think we should all do this. I'm going to do it. I hope you do it as well. And if you do it, I want, let me know, because I, I, love, I love hearing those stories. 
Next time you're at that family party, or maybe it's a coworker party or friends gathering, but you're at that gathering and you walk in the door, you're going to see shoes all lined up at the door. And in that moment, I just want you to think, how many of those shoes do I really want to get into? Not many of them. This is how Paul started with. Put on a compassionate heart first. Recognize the suffering of others. Because when you start looking at people, at family gatherings, at those shoes, when you start looking at people even on social media, coworkers, really anyone, when you start looking at people not by what they've done or what they do, but by where they've been, all of a sudden it's a lot harder to be annoyed by them. Instead of getting angry, you find yourself feeling sorry for them. My gosh, who really wants to be there at age 55? My goodness, she's been through a lot of pain. She's miserable. Compassion gives us this, this new lens that helps us survive these interactions that we, that we don't want to have. And it makes us take a step back and go, my goodness, they, they just must be hurting. And that's the thing about hurting people is hurt people hurt people. Hurt people, that's what they do. They hurt people. Her passive aggressive comments toward you have more to say about her than it does you. She's got a thorn in her paw and she's lashing out and she's hurting. And so she's hurting you. His knack for, for one-upping you, this is way more about him than it does about you. He's just unsure of himself and he wants approval and he's hurting. And so he hurts. Or her criticalness or his mopiness, all of it, it's just symptoms of their pain. And so as you walk into the door at that family gathering, you got those piles of shoes. You just remember, each of those shoes tells a story. That shoe comes from a really frustrating home. That pair of shoes is worn by a man who's just whipped by his wife. That pair, she's never felt good enough. And you expect the symptoms. I'm going to hit the symptoms in a little bit, but I'm going to see past them. I'm going to see the pain. I'm going to remember those shoes. They are hurting Despite how tough they're trying to be or perfect they're trying to act, they are hurting. And that matters to us. There's an, there's an old folklore about a, about a monk. I love, I love this story. It's, uh, it's about a monk who had gone down by a stream to meditate and do his thing. He's sitting by the water's edge. A young boy was in the woods and he'd come by, right by the stream, was gonna cross right there, you know, where the rocks had, had made the stream a bit more shallow. And the boy saw the monk and stopped. He didn't want to interrupt whatever the monk was doing, and so the, the boy just stood there. After a moment or two, the monk, out of the corner of his eye, he saw a scorpion who had gone down by the rocks and had gotten too close to the water, and the water had swept the scorpion up and was taking it downstream. So the monk instinctively reached out his hand and grabbed the scorpion to save him. And the scorpion had stung his hand, making him drop the scorpion back into the water. And so again, the, scorpion, the, the monk scooped the scorpion up to save him again. But again, the scorpion stung him and back into the water he went. And so a third time, the monk picked the scorpion up out of the water to fling him to the side. And again, the, the scorpion stung him. At this, the boy yelled out, Monk! Don't you know it's a scorpion? He will sting you every time. And the monk replied, it is the nature of the scorpion to sting, but it is the nature of the monk to save. It is the nature of the scorpion to sing. 
I'll be surprised the day it doesn't sting me. It's the nature of hurt people to hurt people. It's what they do. I'll be, the, I'll be surprised the day they don't try to hurt me. Hurt people, hurt people. I, listen, I know, I get it. Some of us really dread that sting that's coming this season. You know it's coming, and it's coming from that face that came to mind. And I feel for you. It's going to hurt. I'm sorry. But, but vilifying them is only making the sting worse. Maybe we need to see that face differently. Maybe we need to see their shoes. Maybe we need to see them as hurting people. And hurt people hurt people. It's in their nature to hurt people. But we, because of Jesus, we have put on a new nature. We've put on some new things. Love, patience, meekness, compassionate hearts. And putting on all of that, we can do more than just survive the awkward. Now we're in a position to actually make a difference. It's in their nature to sting, but it's in our new nature to do something about it. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.